Um, I really believe that God has a word for us this morning. And I was really stirred up in my heart this week um, to speak um, on this title. And when God gave me this particular title in the beginning of the week on Monday when I was preparing and praying and writing my sermon, um, God, it's a good week. Things are going well. Why are you giving me this title? And towards the end of the week, it started making sense to me why God gave this title. Uh, probably a little bit in the message, I will tell you um, um, some things that, that God is working and doing. You know, when things are really going well in our lives most of the time, that's when you also start seeing that all hell breaks loose. When I say when things are going well, when you align yourself with God, when the moment you decide, I'm going to get my prayer life in order. I'm going to get my Bible reading in order. And I'm going to set my house in order. And when we make these decisions, when we decide to be faithful, when we decide to say, I am going to get it together, that's when all hell breaks loose. So the title of my message this morning is When All Hell Breaks Loose. Rephrasing it, when everything was going fine and now everything is not going fine. It was fine when you were not praying. It was fine, you know, when you make a decision, ah, from this Sunday onwards, I'm going to make it to church on time. Until then you are late, then nobody disturbing you. But the moment you decide to come to church on time, the doorbell rings or the iron box stops working or there's fire in the kitchen or your children decide to sleep in half an hour more. When everything you wanted to go right and everything goes wrong. When all hell breaks loose. Now this happened throughout the Bible. This happened in Old Testament, in New Testament, in all the heroes of the Bible, you know, in all of their lives, this happened as well. Go with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 8 to 11. If you got your Bibles with you, or if your Bible is on the phone, switch on your Bibles, lighten it up, turn the pages, whatever that you're using. And also, if you're writing notes, get ready with your sermon journal. Those of you here for the first time, they would have given you a lovely brown bag, right? How many of you uh, received the brown bag? You received it? Yeah? There's a nice little journal in there that you can use to write sermons. Okay? Come on. So, let's read from 1 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 8 to 11. Before we read it, uh, there is this fantastic New Testament, uh, which is just like a little book, that is out there in the info desk. Anybody can pick it up. It's for free. Take it and give it to people. If you're traveling in a train, uh, just leave the, leave the Bible there for someone to pick it up. If you're staying in a hotel, I always tack Bible every single place that I can find. If they open the, 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 the wardrobe in the hotel, there will be one of this in there. 
If there's a drawer on the side, I'll put it there. The only place I didn't leave it was the fridge. Uh, everywhere else I tried to put it, right? Spread the word of God. It's for free. It's, we've got hundreds of these. It's right there in the info desk in the front. So after church, when you go, take as much as you can and give it to people. Let God's word work. You never know who will pick it, who will read it, and whose life will be changed and transformed. Amen? Now, did you bring your Bibles? Yes, yes good. First Chronicles chapter 14, verse 8 to 11, it says, When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, they mobilized all their forces to capture him. Everybody say, uh-oh. Now this is why, pastor, I don't want any anointing in my life. I'll just come, I'll be a member. I'll just come, I'll warm up the seat, I'll sing a couple of songs, if you ask me to read a verse, I can do that. You see what is happening to David, Pastor? I don't want any special anointing over my life. No outreach ministry, nothing. I don't want anything special going on in my life. Because they mobilized all their forces to capture David. But David was told they were coming. So he marched out to meet them. Verse 9. The Philistines arrived and made a raid in the valley of Rephaim. So David asked God, should I go to fight the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord replied, yes, go ahead. I will hand them over to you. Verse 11. So David and his troops went up to Balbarasim and defeated the Philistines there. God did it. David exclaimed, he used me to burst through my enemies like a raging flood. So they named that place Baal-perazim, which means the Lord who bursts through. The Lord who breaks through. The Lord who will come through. The Lord who will keep his word. The Lord who will be there if he said, I will be there. The Lord whose presence is mighty enough that whatever stronghold that is in front of you, he will burst through. Who said, you know, Bible is boring to read? When I read through Chronicles, it's like, an action movie, right? The God who breaks through, the God who bursts through, the God who will set us free. Now the problem is that many of us, we read this like we read a newspaper. It's like a news. It's like something that happened in history. But, but God has not called his people to read this book like a history book. This is not a history book. This is a book that is alive and it's a manual for us to live our life today. This is not a story just about David. This is a story that is alive and this story can still happen in your life and my life. So when we read God's word like we read a newspaper, we don't apply God's word into our life. 
we read newspaper and we say, oh man, that happened, oh, I feel sorry for them. Oh, gold price is going up, going down, great. Oh, this happened there. We, we, we just have a little bit of empathy and sympathy and then we move on into our lives. We don't dwell there. But when you read God's word, it's not a newspaper, it's not just a magazine, it is something that we are called to meditate on. When God says, I am a God of breakthrough, or if he came bursting through for David when all hell broke loose for him, Immediately, I can put my finger on that verse and I can pray and say, God, in the mighty name of Jesus, through the blood and the power of Jesus Christ, through the finished work of the cross, and by the resurrection power of my Lord and Savior, I claim my breakthrough for today, right now. Now, the problem is that we still... Look at this like some history book. We don't apply it into our lives. We don't believe it for ourselves. In David's life, all hell broke loose. They thought that they were trying to capture David. They could probably try and capture David physically, but nobody can touch David's anointing. Lay hands on your head and say with me right now. Everybody in this room, say with me. Devil, you can try to touch me, but you can never capture me. The one who is in me is greater than you. I cancel all the thoughts of negativity over my life. I cancel all the lies that you are trying to sow. I replace it with the truth over my life. And the truth of the matter is, my God is alive. He's all powerful. He's all glorious. He is a great God. Everything around me was created by Him. And the great thing, devil, is, He's my daddy. He's my father, and I'm his son, and I'm his daughter. Step away, because I am a child of God. In Jesus' name. This is powerful. This is a realization that we need to have. You look at Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1 to 4. Again, Something breaks loose for King Jehoshaphat. See, for David, the forces, they mobilized against him. The Philistine, they mobilized against David. One country. What happens for Jehoshaphat is worse. It says in verse 1, the armies of the Moabites, the armies of the Ammonites and the Munites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Three nations, three tribes 
three armies coming against the nation of God. The messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazon Tamar. This was another name for En Gedi. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. When all hell broke loose, not just one country coming against King Jehoshaphat, three nations coming against King Jehoshaphat. You know what happened? In 2 Chronicles chapter 19, just one chapter before this, verse 8 to 11, this is what is happening. God calls Jehoshaphat and helps him to set the spiritual life of the Israelites right in the presence of God. Jehoshaphat in Jerusalem appointed some of the Levites and priests and clan leaders in Israel to serve as judges for cases involving Lord's regulations and civil disputes. So there were two kinds of judges that were appointed. One was taking care of all the spiritual side of problems and the other was taking care of all the civil side of the problems. So this is why in the church today we have elders and deacons. Elders along with the pastors take care of the spiritual side of the issue of the church and the deacons help and take care of setting up the church, making sure all the arrangements is right and if there's any other civil issues, it happens. It this was God ordained. So Jehoshaphat appoints this. And this was the instruction from God in verse 9. If you have your Bible, 2 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 9, it says, These were his instructions to them. You must always act in the fear of the Lord with faithfulness and an undivided heart. Whenever a case comes to you from fellow citizens in an outlying town, whether a murder case or some violation of God's law, commands, decrees or regulations, you must warn them not to sin against the Lord. Until this point, there was zero control over God's people. They were doing whatever they like. There was no control, there was no sort of, you know, uh, leaders who was leading them spiritually and in civil matters. So God speaks to the King Jehoshaphat and says, this is the time to get our house in order. This is the time to bring God's family in order. So he brings this word to, through King Jehoshaphat and King Jehoshaphat is saying, enough is enough. If somebody commits sin, you need to warn them strongly and tell them, this is a sin against the Lord. Don't tell them, this is a shortcoming. Sin is a sin. Amen? So that he will not be angry with you and them. Do this and you will not be guilty. This is what is happening. So God is telling the nation of Israel, get your house in order. In spiritual matters and in personal matters. There was murders happening in Israel. Not from other nations. Within the people of Israel. People 
called and chosen by God were living a life full of sin. And God says through the judges, it is time, it is time, it is time, it is time to set the house in order. He says, always act in the fear of the Lord with faithfulness and undivided heart. Turn to the person next to you. Look at them and tell them, it is time to set ourselves in order. Can you tell them? Amen. It is important. Now after that event, in chapter 20, verse 1, it says, after this, verse 1, after this, after what? After the word of the Lord came to set the house in order and the people of Israel have decided saying, okay, from this point onwards, we are going to live a faithful life with an undivided heart. After this, the armies come. When they were sinning, nobody was against them. When they were living a life that is completely out of order, nobody was against them. But when they decided to put themselves in order according to the word of God, all hell breaks loose. How many of you can relate to that? Have you experienced that? Yeah? See, the common response when all hell breaks loose is that your heart is ready to come to God and then the devil brings everything against you immediately we go into terrified mode. We become terrified and we become worried. Jehoshaphat, the Bible says, he was terrified. He was terrified. Jehoshaphat, when he heard three nations are coming against him, he's a king, but yet he was terrified, just like you and I. This is a common response that many of us, we start worrying. The funny thing about worrying is that worrying is, this is how Timothy Keller says, he's one of uh, theologians, and this is how he says, worry is like a practical atheism. How is it? Worry is like practical atheism. The reason he calls it a practical atheism is that you believe in God, yet you act like God does not exist. You are not an atheist, but when all hells breaks loose, you start practicing atheism because you have started worrying. You worry because all of a sudden you think God does not exist. All of a sudden in your mind, oh my goodness, what is going to happen? Even when all hell breaks loose against your life, that's the time you got to realize even more that my God is so much closer to me than ever before. When Sister Anita started speaking that, 
she said she started enjoying every single moment even when things were completely crazy when the doctor said we have no assurance about her life we have no idea how the surgery is going to go even in that moment choosing to say my God is still alive is the application of faith from God's word when she started saying that I was standing there and I said come on this is great and then I realized oh my goodness she's preaching my first point what do I say now? But that's the Holy Spirit. Even before I was about to get here to preach my first point, she already preached it. There's a preacher in you. God has fixed your tongue and he's going to re release words of revelation, prophecies over your life. Sometimes worry makes us focus on fear instead of God. What is the godly response that we need to have as Christians, as followers of Christ? What is the godly response that we should all have when all hell breaks loose? What is the godly response we need to have? The godly response that we need to have is that we need to shift our focus onto God. Now, shifting our focus is not a way of distracting ourselves from the problem. Now, if you go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, they will tell you, if this is causing you problem, replace it by doing something else. Shift your focus from that so that you will not be scared. Now, that is theoretically correct and Shifting your brain to do something else will distract you from the problem. But the kind of shifting your focus that I am talking about this morning is not a psychological or a psychiatric solution. It's a word of God solution. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? Yes? Because when we shift our focus biblically, we are shifting our focus onto God, but... You are going to look at your problem. You're going to focus on your problem through the eyes of God. You with me? Let me explain this one more time. I used to wear glasses, right? And all the people who are wearing glasses, I know your burden. It is not the eyes that hurt the most. It's the nose. You with me? You take off your glasses, you walk into a wall. It's not the eyes that gets hurt, buddy. It's your nose. And you, the first time you wore glasses, and it was so tight here, it started making impression. And there was a certain deformity was coming upon your nose. It started going out of shape. I don't know how many have done this. The first time I started wearing glasses, and this, you know, every day I will take it out, and I'll be like, Come back, nose, come back. Don't go away. This part is fading out. Eventually, you just give up. And you accept the fact that this is what you're going to do. So I was in my sixth standard and I was wearing glasses. And the first time, I went to the eye doctor. The, and, and, and she sat me down and, and she asked me to look at this board which had letters. 
And initially I thought, what, she's not my teacher. I'm not in LKG of first standard to be reading out, you know, um, alphabets and numbers and symbols. What's going on here? So I looked at it and I started reading as much as I could. And as it got smaller and smaller and smaller, I thought I was reading the right letters, but I was reading it wrong. So as it got smaller and I started reading and there was M and I said N and the doctor was like, mm -mm. okay, we know where the problem is. Keep reading. And then you looked like something else to me and I said a different letter. She's like, mm -mm. okay. And then she picked up two lenses and she put it in that frame. I used to love that frame, by the way. I was like, can somebody ever make an actual glasses like in that frame? It looks so engineered and retro and cool. Anyway, for another day. Um, and, and they put it and then it came to focus. My conviction before it came to focus was that I know my alphabets and I can ace this test. But when it came to focus, now I was like, mm -mm, that wasn't an N? That was an M? Oh. When it came to focus, my focal length in my eye which was distorted and this lens corrected that focal length and when the light hit the exact path where it needs to hit my focus got fixed and I was able to see the way I was supposed to see how is this relevant to God's word today pastor this is how it exactly works whenever all hell breaks loose in your life it's like a myopia in your eyes it's like your focal length is shifted from God to your problem and many times you think that you can handle it the problem okay let me do this my way God you just you just hang in there and God is like <laughs> okay try it give it a try Give it a try. That's what God will tell all the students in the month of May and June when it's not online exams anymore. Mm -mm. <clears throat> yeah, Shaban. I think I got all their attention now. And God allows us, we do things our way and just like that doctor he just stands there smiling mm -mm. okay right good oh you think you got this brilliant oh by shouting at your wife you think this is gonna solve all the problems oh by doing this you think it's gonna shout you know you think SBI is your God <laughs> you think RBI is gonna set you free. You think your EMIs is keeping you going. God is waiting. He's smiling. Mm. Okay. 
But then it comes to a point you realize, what am I doing? What am I doing? And you start worrying, you start panicking, and you start shifting your identity into something else that God has not called you to be, and you start feeling that the world is crumbling on you. And that's when God steps in and goes, okay, put that Gandhiji frame now. Everybody who wears glasses, only they laughed. <laughs> you all have no idea who's never worn glasses in your life. Yeah, Gary? All right. And, you know, and God, God brings the focus to Him. And He puts the right lenses into our frame and then our eyes are open and then we see and then we realize oh oh this is how it's supposed to be this is what God has called me for I am not called to live like this I am called for greater things I am not a mess actually I am a masterpiece I am not supposed to speak like this I'm not supposed to walk like this I'm not supposed to live in a crisis like this God actually has plans to elevate me your focus is shifted but those lens you know that two lens that's important that's important and I want to give you those two lens to you this morning how many of you want it yeah the two lengths that will help you to realign your focus, you're still going to look at your problem. This is not an uh, escape plan from the problem. Because God has not called us to run away from it, but face it. He has not turned his back on us. He's standing with us and he's saying, look at your problem, look at your past. Look at your crisis in your mind. Look at your financial problems. Look at all the loans you have. Look at it. We're going to deal with it and we're going to face it God's way. Amen. Amen. We're going to face it God's way. If you want to face your problems God's way, I want you to lift both your hands and say, Yes, Lord, help me, Holy Ghost. The first lens that we need in order to get our focus right is fast and pray. When all hell breaks loose, don't get active. That's when you say, I need to step back. I need to fast and pray. Daniel 9.3 So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. Ezra 8.23 So we fasted and earnestly prayed that a God would take care of us and he heard our prayer. Great prophets, great mighty men of God, used by God, but their weapon was fasting and praying. If you think fasting and praying is one of the most unattractive things to do, then your problem will become the most attractive thing in your life. Hello, somebody. 
So if you like to have your problem to be the most attractive thing, then don't fast and pray. That's okay. But if you really want to see some breakthrough in your life, and this fasting and praying thing goes to everybody. It goes to everybody. Fasting and praying. God, I will do it in my 40s. I'm a young man. And I love my shawarma on a Wednesday night. I'm a foodie. God says, can you become a fastie? <laughs> it's okay to love food and it's okay to enjoy those things. But when, when you want to see something greater happen in life, when you want to elevate above your problems, you don't want to be eye to eye with your problems. You want to be in a higher place and deal with it because that is the focus of God. And if we need to elevate ourselves into the presence of God, we need to fast and pray. Now, fasting and praying is not done only during the 21 days of fast and prayer that happens in church. Many people wait for the church to organize something for you. But it's funny that church doesn't organize everything in your life, but yet you do a lot of things. Right? We don't organize a lot of things in your life from church. Oh, it's your birthday. Oh, hereafter, every Sunday afternoon, we are going to declare that as a church, we shall eat biryani. We don't organize it from church. You love it, you do it. Right? On Wednesdays as a church, we are going to organize shopping day for KCCNs. We don't organize that. You love it, you You love it, you Okay, let me let me get some more real response. You love it and you How many of you want breakthrough? Yes. You love it and you I do it. I I, I do it. Joel chapter 1 verse 14 it says Announce a time of fasting Call the people together for a solemn meeting Bring the leaders and all the people of the land Into the temple of the Lord your God And cry out to him there Joel organizes And he brings the house of the Lord together Now many places this happened Because they lived in large communities In Tense, and the entire village, the entire nation was under one God. Now we don't live like that anymore, do we? We don't live under one big tent. We all love to, but then we know, mm, Pastor, that's not going to work. All hell will break loose if you started living with us, Pastor. I will be praying for you. You know, we don't live in that kind of cultural context. So you can't apply this always in your life to say, we want to have a corporate fasting and prayer time. It's interesting to me, many times people wait for Jesus to go on the cross every year for them to fast and pray. Do you know that? Every year, they wait for Jesus to go to the cross for them to fast and pray. And we call it the 
Lent days. Why are you fasting and praying? Pastor, Jesus is on the cross. How can I eat my chicken? Uh, what about other days? Oh, after Easter, he is a resurrected king until the next f- uh, Good Friday. You just, you just blindly do it because of tradition. You just blindly do it because the church does it and that's what you're supposed to do. But where is spirituality inside you? God is still not hanging on the cross. He is a resurrected king. We are called to fast and pray not because we are sad. We are not called to put ash on our forehead because he is still dead. No, he is a resurrected king. You don't have to mourn and sit and cry because he's a dead God. We are fasting and praying because I am altering my life according to the cross. I have walked away, but I need to come back and I have to do this every week. You want to do Lent, do it all year. And for the rest of your life. It's important to do Lent. The concept of Lent is good. But when you do it traditionally, you miss the point. Because it is not about following a tradition. It's about aligning your spirit. You can call out for fasting and praying and, and, and cut down on a meal, but you're still running around doing your own job and business and, and, and doing all the things that you are to do and your heart is in not alignment, but you're starting to do something because it's something that the church does. It's something that a tradition does. I heard so many amazing testimonies from 21 days of prayer where many people called out to me and said that, Pastor, it really shifted my focus. Even when I was traveling, I was only listening to the word of God. I would put the Bible in, audio Bible in version, and I could just keep hearing. And I couldn't stop hearing the word of God. Now that is fasting and praying. One of my friends used to tell me, I don't decide to fast and pray. I am so much in the presence of God, I forget to eat. That's my fasting. That's where we need to get spiritually. That's where we need to start feeding. So, can you schedule a time of fasting in your life? Maybe a weekly one. Make it a, make it a fasting Monday in your family. Monday is a, is a fast Monday. Right? Usually Mondays go slow. Because it's Monday. But if you make it a fast Monday, by fasting it will definitely go faster. (laughs) You pray, you ask God to help you. Write this down. If it's worth worrying about, then it's worth praying about. If it's worth worrying about, if you are taking time to worry about something, then it's definitely worth fasting and praying about it. Amen? The second lens is trust and obey. Number one, fast and pray. As you fast and pray, now you trust God and obey Him. Now trusting God comes from a loving heart. 
John chapter 14, verse 23 and 24, Jesus replied, All who love me will do that, will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each, each of them. God's love is an unconditional love, but this verse is a conditional verse. Hello? No, God is unconditional. God's love is unconditional. Yes, that's true. God's love for him is unconditional. God's love for you, for the world, it's unconditional. But this love here is a call for a deeper intimacy. We are not just called to experience a generic love from God. Everybody pay attention. You're not called to experience a generic love from God that God has for everybody, which is true. God loves everybody. But beyond that, don't get satisfied there. Beyond that, God is calling for a deeper intimacy, which is conditional. Why is it conditional? Because it says, all who love me will do what? Will do what I all who love me will do what I All who love me will do what I I love him so I will You like it because and you will do it You love him so that you because of that you will follow him You will obey him How you like something and immediately you do it is a natural response to you In your life loving God and obeying God must become a natural response. You don't have to make a choice to obey God when you truly love Him. When you truly love Him. You know, when, when, when young boys, when they are first in love and they find a girl attractive, right? They do everything they can to follow her. They don't stand there to make a choice. Am I going to go and wait in that cake shop today where she comes and buys cake? They know exactly where they will be. They don't wait to make a spiritual decision of how much money are they going to spend on their girlfriend. It automatically... <laughs> I lay it all down, lay it all down for you, my girl. It automatically happens. And then when you get married, it automatically goes back. <laughs> now y'all don't know that. <laughs> the married ones are clapping. When you love him, you just automatically, trusting and obeying should not be a conscious thing that we do. It has to be a subconscious lifestyle. You love him, you'll do it for him. You love him, you'll follow him. You love God so much that it is not a choice for you to live for him. You just wired to do that. We are wired to do that. And this is what happens. When we start living like that, you see God is promising a deeper intimacy. A deeper, he says, we will come. 
It says, it, it doesn't say, I will come. Watch this. It says, we, we will come. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The triune God, the God of the Trinity has to come together when you start living a lifestyle where you subconsciously start trusting Him, obeying Him because you have so much love for Him. The reason you have so much love for Him is not that He's a God who gives you goodies. He's a good God, so you love Him. You don't love Him because He will bless you. You love Him because you are already blessed. You will not love Him because He's going to give you food. Whether He gives you food or leaves you hungry, He's still a faithful God and you will trust and obey Him. When you start living in that kind of faith, we will come, <laughs> what a promise, and make our home with you. God's abode and our abode merges together. Our home, this heart, and God's home merges together. And this is why God asks us to pray, God, do it here on earth as it is in heaven. And this will become an heaven on earth moment in your life. Can you imagine living a heaven on earth moment in your life every single day because you love God so much? Doesn't feel like heaven on earth, pastor, when I'm washing my dishes on my own. Doesn't feel like heaven on earth when I open that bank statement and it's still in minus. Doesn't feel like heaven on earth. It doesn't feel like heaven on earth. And God is saying, hey, you, you forgot your glasses, buddy. You forgot your glasses. You forgot your lenses. Don't look through your problems. Don't look through your daily life. Don't look through your crisis through your own naked eyes. But look at it through the lens of God. Because when you call upon Him, He will draw near you. When you fast and pray, when you seek Him, and when you realign your heart towards the promises of God, and all you got to do is trust and obey. Trusting and obeying God might look scary to you. It might look like what might happen tomorrow if I make this decision. Let me tell you something. Obey God and leave the consequences to Him. Consequences is not your problem. It's His problem. We are just called to obey Him. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do and He will show you which path to take. Can we all stand together? Let God show us which path to take. Let God lead us. When all hell breaks loose, I, my response as a Bible-believing, word-centered, Christ follower, my response is that I will fast and pray and I will trust and obey. My friends, try it out. Try it out. Try it out. Don't be scared of just cutting one meal a day. You will not die. I promise you that. I promise you that. But you will feel so much more alive in your soul than you could ever possibly feel alive in your body. God is ready to draw near you 
as you draw near him when all hell breaks loose don't run away from him don't run and hide because that is the immediate response that your body wants to do flight or fright but that's not what the word of god will allow you to do we will we won't do flight or fright we will fast and pray we will trust and obey it might look scary the next step might look scary that god is asking you to take but can you obey because obedience is worship not singing songs a heart of obedience is worship not playing music a heart of obedience is worship when you obey god it goes like a beautiful praise unto his feet what is god speaking to you what is god telling you to obey about if god is asking you to turn your life around today is the day you make that decision he's waiting on you he's counting on you he loves you he's called you for this moment right here it is not too late if you want to give your life back to jesus it is not too late if you walked away from him it is not too late if you've made some bad decisions in your life whether be it financial decisions whether be it something about your marriage whether it's regarding your children whether it's regarding your business whatever bad decisions that you think that you have made god is ready to fix it more than fixing it he's ready to restore it like never before but he can you can count on jesus but can he count on you can you draw near him because he is ready to draw near you when you go through crisis you don't have to shout unto god you just need to whisper in your prayer you just need to whisper in your fast because his hands is over your shoulder and he is standing so much closer to you than you think he is that's the god we live serve thank you for listening to our sermon today hope it is a blessing for you if you would like to support our ministry you can do so by visiting kingcitychurch.org/give We will meet you next week with another inspiring sermon. God bless you.